Section sixty-nine of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibreVox recording. All LibreVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibreVox.org. Recording by Gaby Cowan. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Chapter sixty-nine. The Price of a Secret. He went one step nearer to her and looked at her with an evil smile his heart was full of passion half intense love and half furious anger you thought to deceive me he said and the breath came like hot flame from his lips you thought to blind me and dupe me but i know you now i have known you all along though i could not believe the evidence of my own senses he never forgot the regal grace with which she drew her slight frame to its utmost height the anger the haughty pride that flashed from her eyes i do not understand you she replied and i repeat my question when i gave orders that i should be denied to all visitors how dare you enter here it is late lady doris he said too late for that kind of thing now i repeat that i know you to the rest of the world you may be lady doris studleigh to me you are simply the girl who lived with me and ran away from me she looked at him if a glance from those proud eyes could have slain him he could have lain that instant dead at her feet he continued you may deny it you may continue to carry on the same concealment the same deceit but it will be all in vain i know you and i know you for what you are you can say anything you please if you think it advisable to waste words i repeat that it will be in vain she grew white even to the lips as she listened to the insolent words i felt sure convinced of your identity from the very moment i saw you at the opera he continued i watched you then i have watched you ever since her lips opened but all sound died away from them he heard nothing i have admired your talent for acting he continued it is a grand one it is ten thousand pities that you are not upon the stage you would be its brightest ornament i was not wholly but half deceived by your superb nonchalance then i determined to find out the truth for myself i have done so he waited to see if she would utter one word of denial one word of explanation she stood before him pale beautiful silent as a marble statue i have tracked you he said triumphantly i can tell you the whole story of your life how you lived as a child at brankenside how you carry on a pretty little love affair with your poet and gentleman until i saw you how you went to florence with me in total ignorance of your true origin how on the morning i left you by the riverside someone came from england told you the true story of your birth and brought you back here i have been to brankenside i am not speaking without proof if she could have spoken she would have told him that no one at brankenside would ever betray her 
she would have liked to cast his words back in his teeth but the strength to speak was no longer hers you thought then of being very clever if you had never heard the true story of your birth you would have been content to abide with me all the days of your life you would have thought your lot a brilliant one but you were too clever dora you thought to escape and to live as though you had never heard of me it could not be done did you speak he might as well ask the question for a sound that resembled no ordinary no human sound came from her lips he went on why were you not frank and honest with me dora why did you not await my return and tell me why did you not trust me do you know what i should have done if you had so trusted me i should have said that my proposition to you had been made under a great mistake not knowing your true name and i should have released you then and then from all ties that bound you to me she saw her mistake then saw what short-sighted miserable policy hers had been but it was all too late surely he continued you had lived with me long enough to know that i had some semblance of a gentleman some faint notions of honour there is no need to sneer my lady men do not reckon honour when they deal with what you were then i know it she cried with sudden bitterness in a voice that had no resemblance to her own why did you not trust me i cannot i shall never forgive you for that way in which you deserted me had you left me one line only one line telling me your true parents had claimed you doris it would have saved all this i had no time because you did not wish to make it even suppose that to avoid detection you had hurried from florence you might surely have sent me a line from england even if you could not trust me with your name and address you might have done that i see it now i might nay i should have done it will that admission satisfy you there is nothing in it to satisfy me he said angrily you had no right to desert me as you did to treat me as you did none in the world do you know what you cost me do you know that i went mad over losing you that i searched you for day after day month after month hating my life itself because you no longer formed part of it do you know that the loss of you changed me from a good-tempered man into a fiend can you realize that lady doris studley no she replied i cannot it is true fair bright frivolous women like you cannot realize a man's love they cannot even estimate it and strange oh strange to say women like you win a strong passionate love for which the pure and noble of your sex seek in vain alas that she had given him the right to speak thus to her that she had placed herself in the power of such a man oh fatal foolish and wicked sin yet true to herself true to her own light frivolous nature it was not the bitter sin she repented so much as its discovery he drew nearer to her and placed one hand on her arm 
"Do you know, Doris," he said, "that when you left me I had begun even then to love you with such a passionate love that every pulse of my heart was wrapped up in it." She shook his hand from her as though there were contamination in his touch. "I did not know it. I do not believe it. You never loved me. You have loved nothing on earth one half so dearly as you have loved yourself. His face grew dark with anger. Remembering how entirely you were in my power, he said, I ask you, is it wise to anger me? You never loved me, she repeated. Early loved me, and would have died any day to save my fair name. You never loved me. You loved yourself. I repeat it. I loved you with a passion so terrible, so fierce, so violent. It frightened me. I loved you so, that I would have lost wealth, fortune, position, ah, life itself, for you. Her white lips smiled scornfully. That calm, proud scorn drove him beside himself. You have been some time in discovering it, she said. That is your mistake, he replied. Do you know, Doris, I swear what I say is true. Do you know why I was so gay, so happy, so light of heart on the day you left me? It was because my love had beaten down my pride, and on that very evening I had resolved upon asking you to be my wife. I do not believe it, she cried. It is true. I swear it on the faith and honor of a gentleman. I swear it on the word of a man. I should need a stronger oath than that, she said. I swear it then by your own falseness and by your own deceit. Can any oath be stronger than that? On that very evening, I had resolved upon asking you to be my wife. I was determined to make our union legal. I loved you so that I could not live without you. She made no reply for one minute but looked steadily at him. Then she said, I do thank heaven that I have been spared the degradation of becoming your wife. Yet you were content to be my companion, he said. Her face flushed hotly at the words. I have lost you. How long, Tora? How many months? Do you think my love has grown less in that time? Do you think it has faded or grown cold? If you imagine so, you do not do justice to your own marvelous beauty. You do not do justice to your own fascination. A thousand times no. It is a burning torrent. Now that carries all before it, it is a tempest that will know no abatement. Dora, you had lost your usual shrewdness when you thought that absence could cure such love as mine. My name is Lady Studleigh, not Dora, she said proudly. Once for all, Lord Vivienne, your love does not in the least interest me. You will have to take an interest in it, he replied. I swear, for the future I shall know no other love. I will never know yours, she replied. He laughed contemptuously. It is no use, Dora, he said. You must really excuse me. I cannot help enjoying my triumph. 
I would not laugh if I could help it. But, my dear Dora, I cannot help it. Did you ever see a fly in a spider's web? Did you ever watch it struggle and fight and strive to escape while the spider, one could fancy, was shaking his filmy sides with laughter? Have you ever seen that terrible phenomenon in natural history? You, my poor Dora, are the helpless little fly. I am the spider. It is not an elegant comparison, but it is perfectly true. You are in my power completely, thoroughly, and nothing can take you from me. She looked at him quite calmly. Her courage was rising, now that the first deadly shock had passed away. Perhaps, she said, you will tell me what you want, spare any further conversation with you. It does not interest me. Tell me, briefly, as you can, what do you want? What do I want? he repeated. Yes, just that, neither more nor less. What do you want? I own you have me in your power. I own that you hold a secret of mine. What is to be its price? I cannot buy your silence with money. You are a gentleman, a man of honor. Having my fair name in your power, what shall you charge me for keeping it? I am anxious to know the price men exact for such secrets as those. You would me and won me, after your own honorable fashion. What are you going to exact now as the price of your love and my mad folly? I was vain, foolish, untruthful, but after all, I was an innocent girl. When you knew me first, what shall be the price of my innocence? O oh, noble descendant of noble men, O oh, noble heritor of a noble race, speak, let me hear. Her taunts stung him almost to fury. His face grew livid with rage. Yet the more insolent she, the more deeply he loved her. The more scornful she, the deeper and wilder grew his worship of her. I will tell you the price, he said. I will make you my wife. Consent to marry me, and I will swear to you, by heaven itself, that I will keep your secret faithfully, loyally, until I die. I cannot marry you, she replied. I do not love you. I cannot help it. If you are angry, I do not even like you. I should be most wretched and miserable with you, for I loathe you. I will never be your wife. All those, he replied slowly, are objections that you must try to overcome. What if I tell you I love someone else, she said. I should pity him, really pity him, from the depths of my heart, but all the same, I should say, you must be my wife. She longed to tell him that she loved and meant to marry early, but she was afraid even to mention his name. I shall conquer all your objections in time, he said. It is nothing to me that you say you dislike me. It is even less that you say you like another. But he never even thought that she really liked early. Had she not run away from him? 
End of Chapter 69 Recording by Gaby Cowan